everyone is looking for a wishing star. I'm going to wish for everything to be just right. You will find your reward does not come easily. Put in boots. Goldie. Bears. All right, let's get it over with. I am nothing. When you only have one life, that's what makes it special. Go get him, Tiger. Hey! Take it easy. You're listening to Let's Talk, a bi-weekly supplement to our regular podcast Because You Watched, where we talk movies, films and cinema, or whatever we're obsessed with at the moment. As always, I'm Charlie. And I'm Francesco. Francesco, let's talk. Hablamos. Oh yeah, is that uh, what? That's Let's Talk in Spanish. Uh, I should know that, I have a Spanish GCSE. <laughs> but it has been a while. So... Why don't you tell the good folks at home what we're talking about today? Well, we just came back from the cinema where we watched Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, that is a sequel slash soft reboot to the Shrek franchise. Yeah, so a sequel to the first Puss in Boots movie, which is a prequel to the Shrek franchise. It's complicated. We're going to get into it. It's its own film. It's its own thing. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's its greatest strength, actually. Puss in Boots The Last Wish is directed by Joel Crawford. Puss in Boots discovers that his passion for adventure has taken its toll. He has burned through eight of his nine lives, leaving him with only one life left. Puss sets out on an epic journey to find the mythical Last Wish and restore his nine lives. So, what do you think of this movie? I thought they didn't have to go so hard the animation for a Puss in Boots sequel, but I'm glad they did. This movie looks amazing. The action sequences are just... They, they're <sighs> spectacular and it's and so funny. Yeah. Uh, I really I really enjoyed this film. I expected to because everyone... I don't think we'd have planned this trip had we not heard that it's actually low-key very good, but I'm very glad we went to watch it and I'm glad to be talking about it today. Yeah, because I kind of wanted to do a last talk where like we literally just go to the cinema and talk about the film straight after watching it. And I was like, what's the most fun film we could talk about that's in the cinemas right now other than maybe M3Gun but that's been out for ages yeah that's true and I saw that earlier in the week yeah uh, we could do an M3Gun episode at some point but I think it deserves its regular because you watched episode for when the sequel comes out <laughs> uh, but Puss in Boots The Last Wish really good it's Antonio Banderas coming back to the franchise for the first time since what the last film 2011 was that when Shrek Forever After came out Shrek Forever After was 2010 Puss in Boots the first film was 2011 oh okay yeah yeah and he's been doing He's been playing this character since... Shrek 2. Which was in 2004. Okay, it's upwards of 20 years. Yeah, that's nearly... It's nearly 20 years. And, you know, I think... Something that I, know, I just want to start with. Something I noticed straight on is that Antonio Banderas doesn't sound like the same Puss in Boots we meet in Shrek 2. Mm-hmm. He sounds older. He sounds a bit more croaky. And that would be, you know, distracting in some roles. But for this version of Puss in Boots, where the whole thing is about him coming to the end of his... Not his life, but coming to his last life, the end of his cycle of lives. There's something quite empathetic about that. Yeah, there's even a moment where he grows a beard after a <laughs> period of depression and someone says, oh, that old geriatric cat, that couldn't be Puss in Boots. And they're clearly acknowledging the fact that he's older. Yeah, but I think that it adds a really interesting pathos to that character. It's who's, like the you know, Top Gun Maverick of the franchise. Yeah, except like, in top, you've seen Top Gun Maverick. I have, yeah. Maverick is never, you know, he's never not cool. Mm. He's never doubted 
doubts himself. He's never depressed. He, it's that Tom Cruise thing of everyone else doubts him and he shows them in the end. Whereas Puss in Boots, you know, he's allowed to be a bit pathetic. He's allowed to be a bit sad. He's allowed to be a bit slow. Absolutely. And I think that makes him so much more engaging as a character. It goes through such an arc, which, I mean, I don't think his character arc is anything we haven't seen before, but it, it's, you know, it's sympathetic and well-crafted. And it hasn't been done for an animated talking cat before. Not many things have been done for animated talking cats before. Yeah, unless you count Garfield. Oh, well, is the... When are we going to get a gritty, realistic Garfield late sequel? That's what I'm wondering. The Garfield Logan <laughs> film. <laughs> so you, this was, this, you can kind of call this Puss. Puss. <laughs> so joining him on this journey are his friends. There is a dog who has been disguising himself as a cat to get free food. The dog doesn't have a name, but he's played by Harvey Guillen. And he is joined by his ex-partner slash lover, Kitty Softpaws, played by Selma Hayek. Yeah, and, you know, they run into a bunch of fairy tale characters, some very well-known, others less so. Yeah, so there's Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Which are really funny, and they're like a Cockney crime family. <laughs> is it Florence Pugh is... Florence Pugh is Goldilocks. Okay. Ray Winston is Papa Bear. Olivia Coleman is Mama Bear. And Samson Kayo is Baby Bear. I, I liked all the Three Bears stuff. I thought Ray Winston was particularly funny. I thought that was honestly like... We're not going to get into spoilers in this discussion, but genuinely the Goldilocks subplot was one of the most, if not the most emotional. But also, made the film but also made really made. funny. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the whole film. It's like, it's so confidently made. And it's really tight. Like, if you compare it to a lot of the Shrek films, we were saying this on the way back, is the dialogue, it's very improvisational. Yeah. And that's partly because in animation, obviously, you record the dialogue first and animate around that, which allows people like Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy to sort of do their thing. Mm -hmm. In this, it feels a lot more structured and a lot more kept to the script, even with uh, John Mulaney playing the guy who turns out to be the big bad Jack Horner quite early on. Yeah. Which is based on a nursery rhyme, they uh, say, in the... Little Jack Horner, but he plays Big Jack Horner. Because he's bigger. Yeah, because he's grown up and turned evil. And it has nothing to do with the Burt Reynolds character in Boogie Nights, also called Jack Horner. No, if anything, that character is the porn star name that's a reference to the nursery rhyme. Oh, that's um, that's disappointing. Um, my my porn star name will be uh, Jack's Big Beanstalk. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we can go with that. All right. Or, well, th thanks for telling me what to search yes. for. <laughs> Yeah, it's um just for reference. We just came out the cinema, so I'm, I am thinking it's. I will say, you know, the core trio of Gulen, Hayek, and Banderas—they're really good. Oh, they're, they're really amazing. good together. And oh. like the ridiculousness of the setting—it's basically like. Well, there are so many films that it is not ripping off at all, but paying homage to. But it's a basic like quest narrative in that they have to find this fallen star. The central conceit of the quest is that they're in this magical forest that is opened up by the map to the star but the obstacles that they have to cross are extremely personal yeah, to the individual exactly so depend on who's touching the map at that individual point but which is really funny and it really like allows you to change the stakes halfway through the film but it also allows you so much insight into the characters because I don't think it's a spoiler to say that you know the map gets passed around between different characters yeah. so when as the landscape changes you really get an insight into you know the extended cast and it's brilliant it's really funny uh, we don't need to go through it chronologically but do you 
you have a favourite part of the film? Um, or a favourite moment, a favourite... I mean, everything involving the dog, honestly. So the she, dog is adorable. He, uh, so he is... He doesn't have a name because he was abandoned, we presume, at the beginning. Well, he said his names... He's had many names. One is boy, one is bad boy, one is hey, shit for you. brains. Yeah, shit for brains with a beep over it. <laughs> Which I didn't expect in a kid's <laughs> movie. So yeah, so like he's been like forsaken by everyone, but he's like, he's got such a saccharine positive attitude to life. He's got he a wants, big heart. He's got a big heart. He wants to be a therapy dog. So he's like someone who's like clearly lived a very traumatic life, always beaten down, but it, partly because he's very clueless, like he can't not see the good in people and he cannot be hopeful and trustworthy of other people. Like he, he just lives life, you know, to the fullest. He has no desires, but that annoys Puss in Boots, who's a, who's a very self-centered character. Yeah, uh, he, he's all ego. Yeah. Whereas and, this is the character with no ego. No. And they're a really good pair, and I think Hayek is sort of in between the two, but she's got her own stuff because she doesn't trust people. Yeah. I was wondering when I was watching it whether there'd be a moment where the dog, you know, gets pissed off because he realises how selfish Puss is, and it doesn't really happen. I'm kind of okay with that. I think the dog is a fairly static character, but I think... That's but he a- allows other people to develop. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of the point that the film makes by, you know, obviously it is about a quest to make a wish, and fairly early on the dog says, oh, I, I got no wish, I've got nothing I wish for. Because so, I've got friends now. Exactly. So, like, it makes it so that he has very simple desires and he doesn't need an arc because he's already where he needs to be at well, the beginning. It's a very, like, classic fairy tale conceit of the thing you wanted to wish for was in front of you this whole time. And I don't think that's a spoiler, but like, that's a very common thing and you kind of know that it's going there, but it's so well handled and so interesting to watch the characters discover that. But that's, that's what's funny is that at the beginning of the quest, the, the dog literally says, my wish are the friends I made along the way. Like, he's already there before even... <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. He tells you the ending. <laughs> no, but really. that's... But he, like, you don't know if he's going to get... So, it's called The Last Wish because only one person can make a wish. So, all these different characters, Goldilocks, Puss in Boots, Jack Horner, they're all vying to get the wish. And the dog says... I don't need to make the wish because I already have the friend I made along the way or some bullshit like that. I have what I would have wished for. Exactly. So it's, you don't know who gets to make the wish. Obviously, they they say that you kind of want the dog to make the wish, but something else might happen. It it doesn't really matter because like so much of the plot is that you need to find out what people's wishes would be if they got there. And, uh, tells you a lot about them because yeah there's a lot of what you said like oh that's what they would wish for but maybe they'll change their mind on their way or you know especially if we push in boots himself yeah because he is a character that needs to change yeah because he's so selfish at the beginning there's something i was mentioning earlier that i didn't quite uh, off mic that i didn't quite get into but i feel like you know in the way that the original shrek film parodies disney tropes of the time uh, this film isn't as much of the that's something we both liked it doesn't have all that you know pop culture reference, uh, like referential humor that Shrek has. Yeah, it's where if there are pop culture references, they are in service of a joke rather than being a joke or being a punchline. Yeah, the references to the fairy tales that the characters yeah. are from. There's a lot of like, they, they milk the joke with Goldilocks of, oh, too hot, too cold, just right. They make that one a oh, bit too much. I thought it was cute. It, it, it always works, but it, it straddles the line. But anyway, the thing is, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's not always played as a joke. It's a way that they express the central part of the film. It's which almost is, a catchphrase. Yeah, yeah but it, the Goldilocks being able to say just right speaks to the thing that Puss is always struggling with and that's contentment. Yeah, fair. And I think that it's an important thematic beat that they keep hitting over. We're talking in a lot of depth for Puss in Boots' The Last Wish but it's I'm very really happy. Good. It's a really good film. 
film weird. Um, no, but sorry, because uh, back to Jack Horner, there's this scene where, so he's got this almost like uh, Mary Poppins bag that is stuffed with magical items. I thought it was more of a, like a TARDIS. Yeah, well, you know, it's a but bottomless yeah, Mary bag. Poppins is yeah. more accurate. Yeah. But... Well, in, in, in D&D terms, it's like a bottomless bag. Right. Um, and he, yeah, at one point, he pulls out Jiminy Cricket out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favourite character? I think he might have... Wait, it's not Jiminy Cricket, because Jiminy Cricket is owned by Disney. No, that's the thing. I think it is Jiminy Cricket, but they don't call him that because of copyright reasons. But it's literally a... They, but the Pinocchio book has the cricket. Uh, so he's he's a he can be a cricket and he can be a conscience. They can say Pinocchio and they can say stuff that's in the book, but not specific to the Disney film. Mm. So he can be the cricket... I see. But he can't be... T- in the same way Ewan McGregor plays the cricket. Oh, fair. But he doesn't sound like Cliff Edwards, no. like you might expect. Who does he sound like? Like Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> he sounds like Jimmy Stewart in <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life and it's really funny. <laughs> uh, he's cre- Kevin McCann is credited as Ethical Bug. Mm. So not even Cricket. But he's Jiminy Cricket. Of course he's Jiminy yeah. Cricket. Because <laughs> he looks like Jiminy Cricket. He dresses like Jiminy Cricket. But he's... he's ethical cr- Bug. He, he's Ethical Bug. <laughs> Which is very sweet, I think. Uh, My favourite part of the film is the montage very early on where he wakes up in the doctor's... Slash barber's office. Doctor, barber, veterinarian and witch finder. And witch finder. In one of the best jokes, he leaves the waiting room and there's just a witch waiting there. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like he finds witches for other witches, I guess. But it's when he wakes up there, and I thought, in a way that kind of reminded me a bit of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, in that the idea of a character dying multiple times and then coming coming back, but it turns out it was just a waiting room in real life, and he came back straight away, and he said, I have nine lives, and he says, well, how many lives have you had already? And then we have this wonderful montage of <laughs> all the times Puss in Boots has died, and it turns out he's eight, and I'm trying to remember, one is... Well, there was a bull fighting in Paloma. No, it was so, running with the bulls. like that, yeah. He had a... He was fired out of a cannon. And he beat a cheated some dogs out of their money in a card game. He went to Ireland, presumably, and drank himself to falling off of a tower. And he drinks milk, obviously. because But it's treated like alcohol. No, it's yeah. cream. Cream, yeah. But it's in a beer, it's in a beer jug. <laughs> so it's treated like alcohol. Yeah. So we've not spoken about one of the biggest elements in this film is the overarching threat of the essentially the big bad wolf. Yeah, who I would say is the actual main antagonist in this film, at least as it concerns Puss in Boots himself rather than the overall, you know, quest yeah. for the wish. Yeah, and I think he represents Puss's closeness to his own mortality and the fact that he can't just rely on having all his lives and needing, and not only needing to take better care of himself, but also needing to grow up and appreciate life rather than looking for the next thing. Yeah, and also his fear, because he starts off saying, I don't fear that. I have no fear of dying. I laugh in the face of death. But then when the big bad wolf is always foreshadowed by this like whistle in the background and you know... Which is just a very simple and effective motif. Yeah. And Uh, you have these close-ups of just this like fur standing up It's it's really smart, just character work and really smart animation, the way that that's handled. Uh, Vagnamora plays the wolf. He's, I think, really... It's not... I wouldn't say anyone is understated in this film, but he's just very, very chilling. could have played it way hammier and I'm glad it didn't because most characters in this film are very hammy and very over the top. It's good for the wolf to be a very stray, just down to earth performance. I think he's the only character who is just comfortable yeah. and confident. This film is just a lot of fun. A question I have is why do we we 
two people in their mid-twenties. Why did we go and see it, and why did we enjoy it? Well, why, as to why I did go see it, it's got 4.4 on Letterboxd, and I was just <laughs> curious as to what. But, you know, it's I, I've heard it compared to stuff, uh, at least animation-wise, to stuff like Into the Spider-Verse. Which well, is very noticeable right from the beginning. Yeah, during in the this, action sequences. He has this fight with a giant who is animated with a contrasting frame rate. Yeah. And it's, it's really, again... It's effective for character movement. I think that takes a big cue from Into the Spider-Verse. The yeah, and, and, and also the idea that during these very dynamic sequences, the, it's still CG animated, but they almost had like a mat on top of it that makes it kind of look like, you know, 2D, you know, the 2D comic book style of Into the Spider-Verse. With the, the caveat the, that Spider-Verse keeps that up for the entire runtime, this yeah. just during the action sequences. There's a really like good texturing that doesn't try to be photorealistic at all. No. It just is there for aesthetic reasons but I think it really works especially because it's you know it's a fairy tale yeah. as well as many other things including a spaghetti western yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously the Puss in Boots character in the Shrek universe has always been a Zorro parody yeah. but I think that this one sort of took him into new directions I was thinking of John Wick at one point <laughs> <laughs> well that's at the beginning where he's very almost infallible then he has his fall from grace and which is you know it's but it's important that we see him being cocky and reckless yeah so that we understand what happens when he is cocky and reckless because he gets hurt. Yeah. But then once Selma Hayek's character is involved, I turned to you and I said that they're reminding me of Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh in Supercop. 100%. Which, do, do you feel that? Do you know what I mean by that? Like, that he's sort of the bit clumsy, bit funny, like he's competent, but a bit of a goof, whereas she's like the hyper-competent badass. Well, in a way, also, uh, Ray Fiennes and... Um, Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett in Strange, Strange Days. Days. Thank I you. I hadn't thought of that, but... They're less of like an action duo. True. They're more like detectives. Well, she's more well, the action, you know. Yeah, that's right? true. Yeah. Well, he is literally a detective. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it, it is such a trope of, you know, the woman is like the no-nonsense, hyper-competent one. The guy gets to be funny. But I don't think that's what it is, because I think the softpaws is also a very funny character. She is. And like, I mean, there's a reveal made about their past. that it is actually an interesting subversion uh, at one point of what their dynam- dynamic might have been. It's also the fact that he's the one who's aging. Like the, the, the impression that you get is that the way that cats age in this universe is that they had nine lives once they get to their last one it's like they've reached old age but also it's a fairy tale yeah. and like time works differently but no but like just in terms of like how the characters behave it's like you feel like he's reached old age she feels like she's still got a couple of lives left so sure it sounds like she's just been more you know she's taken care of herself a bit more than he has yeah um, no, I, I think so and you know that's totally believable to her character it's totally believable to, you know it's not it's not necessarily that she's much younger it's more that she's taking better care of herself yeah no it's like speaking of gender stereotypes there's a subreddit called uh, why women live longer there's just videos of men getting themselves into stupid dangerous situations for no reason at all which is pretty much what Puss in Boots is at the beginning of this film he's like it's it's also a bit like Homer Simpson and Marge Mm. like again it's it's such a trope and it's quite a tropey film yeah again I don't think it's doing anything new but what it's doing is doing so well I agree there's a lot of homages to spaghetti westerns in this film and I think that's a really interesting place to take Puss in Boots particularly a few references to the Sergio Leone Dollars trilogy even in the music cues it's it's really good and it works without it being something that the movie is reliant on mm-hmm. you don't need to have seen The Good, The Bad and The Ugly to find these bits funny yeah also like I mean it's it, more the, people the, have the seen the scene for The Good, The Bad and The Ugly is parodying it's, it's been yeah, everywhere 
aware. More people are aware of the parody than the scene. Yeah, likely. Which also brings me on to the question of pop culture references. My view has been, you know, obviously not when I first watched them, but looking back, the Shrek films are over-reliant on pop culture references that act as punchlines in and of themselves, as we said earlier. Now, I think there are some references here, not so much to pop culture, but just to modern life and more modern things than you'd expect in that sort of world. But they work differently here, and I think the fundamental difference is that the jokes work if you don't understand the references. Yeah, there are, as I said, a few referential jokes to fairy tales or nursery rhymes that I wouldn't have gotten if they didn't explain them. But other than that, no, there's nothing. Yeah, it's not relying on the audience being cued in on a lot of, yeah, just pop culture stuff that will just grow old by, you know, um, a couple of years in the future. But also it's funnier because there are jokes. There are jokes. That's, I think, why a lot of adults are liking this. Like, there's quite a few more jokes for the adult audience that I don't think children wouldn't get, but there's, you know, two instances of them blipping out swear words, which can be funny for kids and adults. Couple innuendos, I want to say. And... Yeah, uh, and... But that's fine. Yeah, no, no, but I'm just wondering, like, okay, why... Is this one of those films that is going to be more popular with adults and kids? I think kids would enjoy it. Think about our audience. Yeah. I think it was a pretty good mix of... I think, you know, obviously it was mostly children Mm. and their parents. But there were a few people like us who were there, you know, without kids. Yeah. And, you know, having a good time. Yeah, but I'm also saying this because, like, there's some people who might not be into watching a film in the children if there isn't anything in there for them. And it's... I don't think... It's rarely the case. I don't think it's just nostalgia for Shrek. No. I don't think it is nostalgia for Shrek at all. But one scene that neither of us were too happy about. Yeah, Um, I mean, there are references to some of the side characters in Shrek more explicitly. And there's fleeting clips from one of the Shrek movies I'm not sure which but by and large it takes place in its own world and I think that's very much to its credit mm. and that of the characters in Shrek Puss in Boots can you know hold his own in his own movie is quite nice not least because Antonio Banderas's performance is just really charismatic even when he's a talking cat especially when he's a talking cat that's the most charismatic anyone can be yeah I mean I suppose the bi- the most important reference to Shrek and I'm, this isn't a spoiler because it's in the trailer is the cute big eyes face that Puss does yeah I think that one they they work it into the plot in quite a clever way but it is reliant on you knowing it from Shrek and like if that's all they do I'm fine with it to be honest it's also such a staple of the character like I like that it's a soft reboot but it it is still a sequel to its predecessors and I'm happy it doesn't forsake that by just pretending that they never existed kind of reminds me very roundabout way but James Gunn's uh, The Suicide Squad which does acknowledge that's a really good comparison does acknowledge the existence of Suicide Squad Squad, but it's basically a reboot. Yeah, I mean, it would have been had it made money. <laughs> no one fucking saw that movie, uh, even though I think it's very good. It's a shame that no one saw it. Uh, yeah, it is, you know, not least because it's using a lot of the cast members from the previous one, except for Will Smith. I love Margot Robbie. Yeah. She should be, I think she could be good in a Puss in Boots movie. What, what was she playing a Puss in Boots movie? Huh. Well, most of the princesses have appeared in Shrek the Third. Yeah, but they could easily. Yeah, oh, oh, of, of, yeah. of course. Is there um, any, a, a specific Australian? <laughs> Very too. The hobbyas. The hobbyas. Yeah, she could play a hobbyer. That would be fun. Uh, she could be Celia. <laughs> a sequel to Celia with an adult Celia played by Margot Robbie. 
the gritty late sequel. Silly is pretty gritty. Uh, uh, but th- th- this would be the Logan of this universe. But that's the thing, you keep saying that, but it's it's her name. Like, Celia is already what it would be called. Well, what was Rabbit called? Murgatroyd. Murgatroyd. This would be called Murgatroyd. She makes a cyborg Murgatroyd. So if no one's understanding this reference, go listen to our We Need to Talk About Kevin episode. <laughs> Jade will understand this yes. reference. Hi, Jade. Hi, Jade. Uh, but yeah, this, I don't know, this movie, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I think, obviously, it's a sequel. Obviously, it's part of a wider franchise and, you know, DreamWorks' most successful property. I would say so, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure. DreamWorks Animation. Uh, well, um, How to Train Your Dragon may have surpassed it, actually. I don't think... I, I think it's done well. I don't think it's on that level. Mm. Like, it just... Like, Shrek was the first winner of the Best Animated Film Oscar. True. Like, even not just financially, I just mean in terms of cultural cachet, I think it's... Oh, no, then absolutely, yeah, Shrek yeah. is way more pervasive than... But uh, watching it, I did sort of feel the joy of watching something unique and almost original and independent, even though it's a sequel, and even though it is based on all these fairy tale characters, it felt so much like its own thing, and I think it was at its strongest when it was focused on... I mean, I say its strongest as if this was only a small part of it, but most of it was just focused on the story it was telling. It didn't rely on references to the wider universe. No. And, you know, no matter what James Gunn thinks, connectivity isn't actually that important. Exactly. And it's something I respect that, like, yeah, our studio did make that film in the past. We're not going to pretend we didn't make it, but here's a new story you can enjoy without needing to go back and watch it, because we know you don't want to rewatch the old one. <laughs> without spoiling the ending of this film, would you? are you looking forward to a Puss in Boots sequel? I am based on the strength of this one and based on its animation, but if they're going to try and reinsert it back into the Shrek universe and do like a Shrek 5 or something like that, I'm going to remain a bit skeptic. Sure. What I will say is that if they did a Shrek movie in the style of this movie, and I think, you know, A, without relying overly on pop culture references and actually just having jokes, and B, looking as good as this, yeah. because this film looks lovely, I'd be interested. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd enjoy it, but I'd definitely be interested in watching it. Um, picturing some scenes from the first Shrek, like, you know, when they go into the uh, tower and fight the dragon for the first time, with the style of this film, that would have looked glorious. Yeah, I mean, it's important to remember the first Shrek was made a long time ago. Absolutely, I'm not, it's not a dig on the first Shrek. No, I'm I know. picturing what a fifth one would look like with this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they'd have to go in a very different direction, but also, like, having to come up with new obstacles for Shrek in his development, it's it's very difficult to imagine an engaging plot for him, because they well, they couldn't really come up with one after the second film. Well, that's why it'd be more interesting if the upcoming franchise was just Puss in Boots and Shrek were a supporting character in it. But why? Because they need to make more. And if they're still gonna be good, I'm still gonna watch them, but obviously it's not gonna stop if this makes enough money, which it, it did already. They're not gonna stop on this but who's like clamoring for oh they got Mike Myers back have you ever watched that YouTube video Shrek is Love Shrek is Life from a few years ago I know of it I've actually never seen it well you should watch it it will tell you a lot about why people like Shrek I mean I I know why people like Shrek it's because they grew up with it that's the reason it's nostalgia well there's there's more than that but another thing like you compared it to Into the Spider-Verse and you know know, we mentioned John Mulaney's in this that's another connection to Spider-Verse he's really good in this film what does he play in Spider-Verse he's Spider-Ham Okay. Obviously. Of course it's by the <laughs> But he's, you know, he's really good. And like you said, he's a, he's a really good villain. And there are lots of great, like, visual things because his whole gimmick is that he's a collector of magical artifacts and he kind of uses them like video game weapons. Yeah. And like, I think his character is like this rich kid that sees everything and everyone is expendable. So he's got these like priceless artifacts and he just tosses them away. And we haven't mentioned the 
I think one of my favorite jokes in the film, his goons are called the baker's dozen. And because he's, just, he's a pie maker. Because he's a pie maker. And there's 12 really gritty looking bakers. Who are just like... <laughs> totally dispensable. God, oh God. Like so so much death in this film, which is another thing. Like I'm not really used to seeing the characters actually die in children's film, unless it's like the main villain at the end and they, you know, kill they usually fall, yeah. They usually like fall off a cliff. And yeah, you see because it. of their own like ego. But, but they, they kill a lot of characters in this one. But like kids like death. Kids like fart jokes. People, Kids like sex jokes. Kids like death jokes. Like kids have dark senses of humour. Yeah. And I think that this film understands understands that. Yeah, it's kind of brought me back to an era, you know, before everything was so corporatized in, in children's movies. Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, sure. It's still, no, it's not, you know, it's still doing its own thing and it's still new and it still feel, feels fresh. It's not like, oh, back in the old days when everything wasn't so woke. But it feel, this feels like a film that was written by actual people rather than by an algorithm, which is what a lot of, especially Disney films have felt for the past few years. Yeah, and also, you know, overworked animation teams in the case of Disney yeah. and VFX teams. You know, th- this just felt like an attempt to tell an interesting story with an interesting character played by a very charismatic actor. Absolutely. And, you know, having fun in the playground of fairy tale movies. So, yeah, I think that's... Is that everything? Yeah. I know, final thoughts. Well, to keep it in because you watched Spirit, if this were a title episode, would you have an alternate to recommend to people? I mean, it would probably be a Zorro film. Yeah. I mean, it, it just feels obvious, right? I would actually go for... Mm, I need to think about it. I'd pr- probably go for some anime film, like some, you know, shonen adaptation. The first that comes to mind, not really fit for an alternate because it was one of the highest grossing films of the year when it came out, but uh, Demon Slayer Mugen Train, just the way that they draw just pure action through animation and there's a lot of fights in this that really reminded me of the way that 2D anime is often animated in its dynamism and I guess spirit. I guess you could also go for a lesser known spaghetti western that shares some similarities also Zorro the Gay Blade if the we're going to go for it yeah it, it's the gay Zorro from the from the 70s it's really good well is it a blade that turns no, people gay or? no no Zorro is the, I think Zorro is killed it's been, it's been a while and his like gay half brother becomes Zorro does he have a pink Zoro costume or is it still black? No, I think he has one then he becomes Zoro and wears the costume. Anyway, okay. but interestingly in that film, in Joker, that's the Zoro film that the Waynes go and see before they get murdered. So that's the last film. Which is such a so weird one because like died. originally they go and see the like Zoro, mm-hmm. the actual Zoro, but in this because it's set in the 70s and it came out in the 70s, it's Zoro the gay blade, but which isn't what you take a kid to see. There's also Cats yeah. by Tom Hooper, which oh, animation almost what if cats? this one. Yeah, I mean, Zoro, it's a bit basic, but you know, what I'm basic. I'm the basic one. I suppose my question is... I mean, you've said that you love Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about this film in contention with it? I think this film is the tighter screenplay for sure. Yeah. I still think that what Pinocchio does with its animation is more unique and feels fresher. I would have probably given the hat to Puss in Boots if it weren't for the fact that it does owe a lot to Spider-Verse in its, in its, you know, at its peak. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, we know how hard Guillermo del Toro fought to get Pinocchio made. Yeah, so I think this film you know for what it is it's still you know a huge studio that for sure gonna have the budget to make at least two or three more sequels until people get tired of it but Pinocchio I'm, I'm really really happy it, it got made because it was something that it was a passion project that people had to fight for which, which once again this feels kind of like the same thing in a way because it was you know it's been 12 years since the last film and That's true. It, it, this does feel like a film that was made with a lot of heart yeah 
and so, you know the time passing does help for the themes of the film yeah and also like to give the you know studio some time to actually plan a project and you know get the proper people to work on it instead of just churning up products every year I'm sure the edit will make it shorter than this but I just want to point out that before we started Francesco said there is no way we're going to make it to 45 minutes and it is now 43.18 seconds I was like let's say to for to half an hour of recording but you know we have more stuff to say oh we enjoyed the film yeah and we've had a beer we had the beer uh, it's, it's actually cream that's true <laughs> with yeast <laughs> thank you as always to our esteemed producer Jade thank you to Molecule for our artwork you can follow us on Twitter at PCU Watch Pod on Instagram at PCU Watch Podcast thank you Francesco gracias and thank you for listening who is it for?